morning, what are the two biggest, I don't even know what to call them, the two biggest things or items or whatever that God has given to each human being, what answer would you come up with? What has God given to every human being? And I'm thinking of two things in particular. They're not items that you can hold on, but they are part and parcel of how we live. And anybody want to have a stab at that? Sorry? Yep, life. But what does life consist of? Time. Well done, that man. It's a good job there's a teacher in the room. So God has given us time. I'll talk about that more in a moment. But what else has God given us? Okay, forgiveness. A conscience. Conscience, yeah, it's a bit more expansive now. And I'm thinking of every human being, not just those who believe in Jesus. Ability to think. He's given you free will. Yeah. So the two things that every human being possesses, the first is time. The catch with time is you don't know how much you've got. I mean, let's face it. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, five people went into a little submarine to see the Titanic and they stayed down there. You don't know. You do not know how much time you've got, but you have been given time. And if you were to say, what is the currency of your life? It has to be minutes and hours and seconds. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because we've got to be really careful about what we spend our life on. I mean, we have these horrible statements. We say things like, I'm going to kill some time. or I'm going to just waste some time. That's your life. I mean, how much of our life is whittled away in front of the television or on social media or on other things like that that add no value to who we are? And so God has given us time. And let me tell you, everybody has enough time. But the second thing that he has given us is a free will. The free will is the most mind-blowing thing in history. No culture in the world has given you the same freedom that God has given you. Not even the, the Western culture that would say that we're all about freedom. Well, they're all about freedom unless you disagree with what they're talking about. So God has given to every human being an amount of time to live and he's given you the ability that you are the master of your destiny. You choose how you live. And then in the midst of that, God says, this is how I say you should live. Now, there's a catch to all of this. The time you've been given and the free will you've been given, you have to account for at the end. It's like going to work. You go to work and you have to clock in, you have to clock out, and you have to give an account for what you do with your time. And God's measurement of what we do with our time, the accounting in the end, it's all in the Bible, it will be determined by how we have treated what he has said. 
If mankind, going all the way back from Adam and Eve and then from Noah forwards, if mankind had obeyed what God said, we would be sitting in a very different world. We wouldn't be spending the money we spend on weapons. We wouldn't be spending money on billions of pounds to send a, um, a, a, a robot to Mars to see if there was life there. What a waste of time. What a waste of money. And so those things prove to be a big challenge. And why am I saying that? Well, there are some scriptures that are worth noting. Let me just move forward for a moment. Because we're told in the Bible, Colossians 4 verse 5, make the best use of the time. And then in Ephesians 5.16, it expands a little bit. It says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so we live in this massive challenge that we've been given a certain amount of time and we need to choose what we do in that time. There's a scripture in Jeremiah that says this, If racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? Now, he's not literally saying you're going to be racing against horses, but he's talking about a picture. He's saying if you can't cope when the time is easy, how are you going to cope when the time is hard? And whether you would see this as being a prophetic thing, let me tell you, times are going to get harder, not easier. Now, I'm not saying that our time is any harder than previous times in history. But let me tell you, I think for the United Kingdom, things are going to get a little bit harder. And the challenge is going to be, as Christians, we've had a bit of a golden age in the last 50 years. We've lived in the United Kingdom. It's not been challenged in terms of what you believe. But since COVID, there's been a very clear change in society, not just in the West, but all across the world. There has been a change and people are not tolerant. You know, it's all about tolerance. You go anywhere, it's all about tolerance. But if you do not tolerate what they tolerate, you're in trouble and they will not tolerate you. You see that all over. Anybody who's spoken out against COVID and the inoculation, if they've been a doctor, they've been defrocked, they've been um, lambasted as sending false information, and yet three years on, we're beginning to realize that everything that was told us wasn't quite true. I find it amusing, maybe that's word, or ironical, uh, that there was a woman, I don't know if you remember, there was a woman in Parliament, an MP, who stood up and called Boris Johnson a liar, and the only thing that they were concerned about is that she called him a liar and they told her that if she doesn't retract that, they will kick her out of Parliament. She didn't retract, she had to go. And here we are a few years later and it's quite evident that he was telling a few porky pies. Now, I'm not here talking about Boris Johnson, but I'm saying that things are getting harder. 
And the question is, if we can't cope as believers when we're in a golden age where Christianity has been all okay, how are we going to do if people come into church and say, you can't meet anymore because the Bible is not a book that fits our narrative or our story on how the world is supposed to live? Nearly every week I'm sitting down with my children and I'm having to adjust the narrative. By narrative, I'm talking about the story that we're told about how humans should live and what our history is. I'm having to adjust it with my children because what they are taught in school is not correct. Doesn't have any evidence behind it. And so we are in a situation of time when we've seen a massive shift from before COVID to after COVID. My mum was saying to me on the, the, the phone the other day that it seems like the love of many people has grown cold. I mean, let's be honest, people are less likely to help people these days. They're more likely to be angry if you park or drive in a way that is not good. Just think about the arguments people had when we had a shortage of toilet paper. People fighting in the queues and all kinds of stuff. It's crazy. Scripture says these things will come and the challenge is, how are we going to respond to that who follow Jesus? In 1 Chronicles 12.32 it says, Of Issachar, Issachar was a tribe of Israel, men who had understanding of the times and to know what Israel ought to do. The NLT says, these men understood the signs of the times. I wonder whether we understand it. Do you understand the time that you are living in? And there is this kind of interesting thing that uh, every person thinks that when they were younger, things were easier. It's not really true, but we kind of harp back and think it was true. I get nearly every week emails or text messages linking to a YouTube video of the next end time prophet giving me the end is near and this is what the book of Revelation says and so on. Let me tell you, 99.9% .9 of that stuff is just a whole load of rubbish. I'll get shot for saying that because the difficulty is this. In what I do as a church leader, I look for evidence that something is true. God's stuff has evidence. You might not be able to prove it in a certain way, but it has evidence behind it. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that I look at on YouTube has absolutely no evidence. They will take something from the book of Revelation and say, yeah, the Antichrist is this person. Well, let me tell you, I know 30 years ago the Antichrist was Gorbachev. And in the Reformation, Martin Luther said the Antichrist is the Pope. Well, hold on a minute, it keeps changing. You, start, you have to start reading the book of Revelation along the news and linking the things together. And then I, I come back to the really simple thing. Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour. Some bright spark says, that doesn't mean you don't know the month or the year. And I thought, oh dear Lord, save us. So what am I saying here? I'm saying we need real prophetic insight as the people of God 
to know how we are to live. And all the stuff that you see on YouTube and those things, you've got to be careful because the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, they all said, watch the false prophets. I mean, I would believe these guys if at least one of them had told me COVID was coming. But they didn't. There's just a mass silence. And so we are in a situation where things are getting worse, but we're also recognizing that things are not as bad as they could be. In Nigeria, 50,000 believers have lost their lives for their faith. In India, in Manipur, hundreds of churches have been burned and thousands of people are homeless because of what's been going on there against Christians. If you live in China or North Korea, you are already in the Great Tribulation. Certainly a tribulation. And that's where the challenge comes that we're not 100% sure where we are. People say you were in the end times. Well, the Apostle Paul said 2,000 years ago we're in the end times. And so we live saying, Lord, we need some wisdom. The one thing that we can see, the United Kingdom has very clearly turned its back on God. We've said, get out of our schools. We've said, get out of our politics. We've removed things that are clear biblical moral values. Sexuality is the biggest area of attack at the moment. And that sexuality is trying to change the, the story or the narrative that we teach our kids. That's a really big, big issue. And so in the midst of all of this, we need to be the sons of Issachar who understand the days we're living in and what do we need to do. Now, it's a really sad fact that the church of the last 50 years has been largely ineffective in the UK. Church hasn't grown, it has shrunk. People aren't rushing to go to church, they are leaving church. How many buildings that were churches are now mosques or carpet shops or private homes? It's all showing that there has been something wrong in how we have lived out our faith. Now, as in our prayer meeting this morning, Liz shared about Moses. And Moses went into the presence of God, and when he came out, his face was aglow, and everybody kind of stood back. They recognized he had been with God. There was a recognition. There was something about him. This man has been with God, and we know about it. Now, if we read Matthew 5.13, it says that the church, which is the people of God, we are salt and we are light. Now, salt and light, they're just, they are what they are. Do you understand what I mean? You, you can't change salt is salt. You can put salt on your ice cream, and your ice cream will taste salty. You can put it on your roast dinner and your roast dinner will taste salty. Light, you switch it on and the darkness disappears. What I'm saying is these things are like a stick of rock. They're the same all the way through. But the challenge is that the church has often not been that. It has said one thing and lived a different kind of life. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like yeast. Now, I like making bread, but only since we've got a bread maker. I don't have to do all the kneading, you know. 
But what's really interesting, you whack some yeast in and this thing rises. If you made a loaf of bread, never forgotten the yeast, you get this little brick at the end. It's good for riots, but it's not good for anything else. And so here we are, the people of God in the community that they live in are called to be salt and to be yeast and to be light. That's what we're called to be. What does that mean? That means that you don't have to stand on the end of the street and preach at people. There should be something that they come into contact with you that rubs off on them. I'd say, you know, every time I talk to that Fran, there's just something that is different. There's some saltiness. There is some light. There is, you know, and, and that begins to affect the community. I mean, that's how the early church grew. It wasn't because they did mass evangelism. It was because of who they were. So I'm asking myself the question, how salty are we as Hope Church to the people we connect with? Now, I'm really cautious in saying that because I don't want you to be depressed and think, hey, you know, I'm not salty, I'm not doing anything. Very often, we do not realize the effect we do have. I remember many moons ago when I was um, leaving uh, the work that I was in to go into full-time ministry, and I was a bit depressed because I kind of thought, Lord, I've not led anybody to Jesus here. I've had no effect here, and I'm kind of thinking I'm wasting my time. And then just before I was leaving, we had a new guy coming who was a Christian and he, we, we had a quite an open plan office uh, and he asked one person in the office, are there any Christians here? And in unison, everybody in the office turned and pointed to me and said, yeah, you want to talk to that guy? He rams it down your throat every day. The what? But the point is that if we're salt and light, people will notice it. Now, to some, we are the aroma of life. To other, we're the aroma of death. Some people will enjoy the flavor. Other people say, no, don't want that. But the point is that people are impacted because of who we are. The church in the early church, back in the the, the kind of 2,000 years ago, people came to the church because they wanted to be part of a group of people that had this phenomenal love for God and for one another. They said, we want to be part of that community. And the challenge is that our gospel of the last 200 years has essentially reduced down to just managing sin. If you think about it, nearly every gospel message is just about sin. Put your hand up and Jesus will forgive your sin. You'll go to heaven. But it doesn't talk about being salt and light. It doesn't talk about a transformed life. It doesn't talk about how we live every single day. Jesus in Matthew 25 shares this parable of ten virgins. Now these ten virgins had the same objective. They wanted to get in to the place where the bridegroom, when he came, he would take them and they would all go in and celebrate and be there forever. It's a kind of picture of heaven. Now there were ten of them. The thing is, only five of them did something about it and prepared themselves properly. The other five thought, ah, oh, we can just drift in. 
And the end result was only the five who prepared actually got into the marriage feast. The others were left outside. Now that scares me, that. Because it means I need to be doing something with my faith in Jesus rather than just letting it coast along and hoping that grace will just cover all the things. So in my life, my family, my finances, my career, my location, my possessions, my time, all of that belongs to God and I need to treat it as such by making sure that every day I'm connecting with him and saying, Lord, what are we doing today? Now you might say, well, I don't have that option. I go to work. But, but you do. Because God can work in your work. God can work with your family and with your neighbours and it comes down to how we connect with God on a daily basis. Now some will argue and say, well, you're wrong, Simon. The church is doing fine. Maybe our measurement shouldn't be a Sunday morning but should be our prayer meeting. Maybe if we went, we went throughout the region and we went to the prayer meeting to see how many people actually pitch up at the prayer meeting. I mean, really, on a Sunday, we've got people doing stuff on the platform, we've got some stuff with the kids, but the congregation, by and large, you know, are connected, we worship, but there isn't much that we can contribute. But at a prayer meeting, we can at a prayer meeting, we can pray for people in, in, in North Korea and uh, in North India. We can pray for people all over the world. And yet, prayer meetings are maybe 10 to 20% of the believers. So you ask yourself the question, are we making the best use of our time because the day is getting evil? Now, there's scriptures that I could read, Ephesians 5, I don't have time, maybe have a read through. And it talks about how we live. I've already mentioned the last few times that I've preached that from September, I'm putting a program in where I am preaching through some foundational stuff that we should know as believers. And it's not just knowledge, it is transformational stuff about how we live. We've just started a, a new youth group for our Christian youth and we are tackling some of these things. We don't just want to talk about stuff, but we want to say, how do we deal with Pride Month? How do we deal with our finances? What happens with boyfriend and girlfriend? How do we deal with those things as believers? Because Jesus is in every part of our lives. If we went back to when Jesus called people to follow him, we would see just how tough that was. You had to leave everything. Imagine if Jesus comes here and he says, hey, will you follow me? He says, yeah, well, I'm, I'm doing this. Well, you need to leave it. Oh, well, I've got this plan. Yeah, you need to leave it. Now, we're in a time where Jesus has poured out his Holy Spirit. He dwells within us and it means that Jesus through us will impact just about every area of our lives. But I have a concern that as believers, we're spending too little time with Jesus. If you, there's, there's one kind of big take home from this morning. It is the challenge about how Deeply are you connecting with Jesus? We sang that, you know, this morning. Deeper and deeper we go in. But how deep are we going? 
Statistics will tell us that most people don't read their Bible every day, they don't pray every day, and it's actually once every week or every month or whatever. I'm going to say something that I do not think that style of following Jesus will get us through the tough times that are coming. I mean, we, look, we are a much smaller number than we were before COVID. What's happened to those people? We've just had a year or so of some isolation and people have drifted off. And our church is no exception. There are loads of churches out there that have gone through the same. Numbers have reduced. And so we come into this thing where we have to make this decision. Am I really going to follow Jesus? Even if it gets tough. You know, Habakkuk, though there is no fruit on the vine, there are no sheep in the pen, no, no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in God my Saviour. Now for me, I have to be honest, I found this year quite tough. I found it going uphill. Sharon's death and then Ralph's death and then we've got folks in hospital with cancer and on palliative care and we've got a whole load of other stuff that is going on and I found it quite tough. And the thing is for me, I'm trying to spend more time with Jesus because otherwise I'm not going to get through this. And so I want to encourage you before you know, the, the picture that I have is, you know, the, the, the old chariot with horses. The horses would start going and then the chariot would jolt after a little bit. You know, when the reins kind of and the, and the leather kind of took the pressure and it went. And I want to say to you that we are going to hit some really tough times and you need to put the practices in now because you may not find it easy to change things when it really starts to hammer through. I talk to no end of people and everything about work is stress. Absolute stress. I was talking to somebody the other day and they said to me, people are leaving the job and getting a lesser paid job because they just do not want the stress anymore. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus is there in the tough times. Jesus is there to walk with us through everything that we do, but we have to use the time he's given us and the free will he's given us so that we focus and spend the time with him. If you want to know how to do that, come on Tuesday to our soap study and we will show you how you do that. You know, I've yet to do a soap study and somebody say, wow, it's amazing you can hear God so easily. Yeah, it's just about time. It's about time and saying, yep, I'm going to do this. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Seek God. If you're doing it already, then you can let this pass over your head and you can encourage others. If you're there, then keep going. And I want to say keep going. But we need to dig deep. We need to be fully engaged in God because the seasons that we're coming into, I do not think are going to be easy. And so here we are, we are salt and we are light. And we're going to do everything we can as a church to help you the best we can. We're doing leadership training. We're going to have a focused um, uh, teaching throughout the next three years to help people to grow in God. We've got preaching training, soap study. If there are any other things that you want us to talk about that you think will help you in your walk with Jesus, let me know. Because really... This isn't so much a hospital, this is more a place of preparing people for the battle that comes.
Now, I know we're here for the wounded. We are. We are here for the wounded. We're here to look after one another. But the scripture also says we are an army. And that we need to get our focus sorted out. And we've had too long, sadly, in the last 30 years, where the world has slowly brought its story into the church, and the church has believed it. Jesus said, life does not exist. Uh, life is not about the abundance of our possessions. It isn't really. And yet the world chases that. It's about money. It's about power. It's about wealth and all those things. That's not what we chase. We are here to fulfill the plans and purposes of God. And I think, you know, to try and encourage you within this, I think that when it gets darkest, the church will burn brightest. And I think we have not yet even tasted the amazing things God will do through us, but it's about getting that foundation right. And Jesus took, he took 12 guys. I mean, this is, this is the most amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus prepared for the time he would not be here. As soon as Jesus started his ministry, what he did, he says, I'm going to prepare 12 people to take over from when I go. And so that's my challenge. I want to make sure people are prepared. I want to make sure you're not reliant upon me being here. Not that I'm leaving, but who knows? And so that God becomes the mainstay. And so that it's not about Sunday morning, but we are feeding ourselves on a Monday and on a Tuesday. And we can hear God. We know what he's saying. We understand the authority and power we have. And we're living in that. And God will do amazing things. And we'll see people drawn to God. Why? Because we are salt. Because we are light. And we will yeast our communities. And they will begin to change. The hope for our nation in the UK is that Christians have an influence, not that we're shouting politically. It's through who we are and how we live. Let's pray. Time has gone.